Well, hello. Welcome back. It is Saturday, January 21st, and we are here to do our episode six lookup list bonus episode on Sherry Black. Um, I'm, I, again, do we have to introduce ourselves on the bonus ones? I'm Margo. I'm Jenna. And uh, if you, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, I would encourage you to like go back and listen to the regular episodes probably because these are more casual and more um, non-telling of a murder story. (laughs) That's right. That's the biggest difference. (laughs) We're not telling a murder story. We're we're kind of, it's almost kind of like a Mm self-reflection, like looking back at what did we get wrong? And then on, so we haven't really done this because I I know that people generally hate this on podcasts, but we're going to do it this time. A few like, People say like housekeeping things. Oh, you know, I didn't just, know we have housekeeping. Yeah, just kind of like uh, not related to lookup list, not necessarily related to the episode, just kind of in general things. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that I did want to bring up is we went to see dad yesterday, mm-hmm. have a drink with dad, and we were talking about the podcast. And... Um, we were telling him some of the reviews that we've gotten and some of the feedback. And he was saying, you know, if you're not pissing someone off, you're doing it wrong. Like you're not like if you're, if you're pissing no one off, if you're making everyone happy, then you're obsolete. You're boring. You're a wet blanket. Yeah. I think that's exactly what he said actually. So, and I just wanted to, I don't know, just touch on that because I think that's interesting because I do think that we're pretty, um, cautious and try to be cautious and aware of not, you know, of trying to say the right thing. You can't always say the right thing, but trying to say the appropriate thing nowadays. And well, not- I think it's trying to say, well, I'll speak for myself. Maybe sure. you're just trying to say the appropriate right thing. Okay. I'm just trying to convey like what I actually, like sometimes I just say shit before it, I, you know, my mouth moves quicker than my brain. Right, right. And so it can come off wrong or I can say the thing that I don't actually mean. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the pauses and the hemming and hawing often are just trying to convey what I actually think or feel. Sure. It's a, there's a learning curve to speaking with someone that like you, I've spoken to you for many, many years now and to speak with you and have it be recorded and have it be out in the public where people can hear it and maybe take it the wrong way because they don't know us personally. Yeah. So they don't know my intention behind it. They don't necessarily know that like, oh, that was a joke or that was just, I didn't think it through before I said it. Right. You know, of course there's editing, but only to a certain degree because we don't want to like edit out all of the, you know. Well, we st- we will still want to be human. Exactly. And humans yeah. Perfect. screw it up sometimes exactly. in various ways. But it did kind of like strike a chord with me when he said that because I do think we, we or I at least try to, I don't think we're, we're setting, we're not setting out to offend people basically, but it kind of struck me in that like you're always going to offend someone and if you're not, then you're doing it wrong. And I was like, well, maybe I should be less like, let me cut this when I, cause I'm editing these episodes. Maybe I shouldn't edit some of that out. Maybe well, I should just fucking leave it in. Let's try it. For one or two and see what happens. Yeah. Also, that doesn't mean we're going to try to go to the opposite (laughs) end of the spectrum and purposefully offend individuals. But yes, certainly, certainly. Um, And then I guess this isn't really housekeeping, but before we get into the lookup list, I wanted to mention, so I listened to this episode, to episode six today. Sherry Black, and I noticed around 55 minutes, um, there's something that was meant to be edited out, and it wasn't. And for anyone who has listened and is listening to this, I just wanted to explain it. So around like 55 minutes and 30 seconds, um, I say, so I was telling Mark about this story, and he said, well, if um, if Adam DeBurro has been arrested, like why didn't they match his fingerprints to the fingerprint found at the scene? And so when we recorded this, we had a whole conversation about that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like talked it through. And then after like five minutes, we fi- I was like, oh, 
I think I, I think I know why this didn't happen, why they didn't connect them because Sherry was murdered in November. Adam wasn't arrested for, for theft or breaking and entering whatever until December or January. And he wasn't a prior offender. Right. So like he, so they took his fingerprints, but it was after she had been murdered. His prints weren't in the system. When she was murdered. Exactly. So like we, we talked about it when we were recording, we kind of got to that and I was like, well, okay, we figured it out. This is no longer a question or relevant. So I, I tried to cut that whole part out, but inevitably I missed that little snippet. So that's why that is in the episode. If anyone caught that or heard that, I just wanted to highlight that I try to edit out things that seem, you know, irrelevant or boring out of these episodes. And yeah, sometimes I miss stuff. She screwed up. I screwed up. (laughs) That's right. I did screw up. Um, Okay, well, let's let's jump in. We have quite a few, actually, on, on this lookup list. So let's jump into it. The first one you had on here in quotation marks was Crossroads of the West, which I guess I must have said that's what Salt Lake City or Utah's called, something like that. And I found uh, when I Googled Crossroads of the West and Utah, it says, Located in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in the northeast corner of Utah, Salt Lake is also known as the Crossroads of the West for the first transcontinental railroad that was completed nearby in 1869, turning the area into a boomtown fueled by its profitable mining industry. Mm. Okay, that's cool because at first when you started that explanation, I thought, oh, she said all of that. I mean, mm. the first five words, right? but you said all of that in the actual episode. But yes, that's interesting. It yeah. was about the railway system and yep. which thus at that time, I guess, was my, you know, high mining times. Right. Exactly. I wonder what they mined there. What kind of oh, ore? Um, copper. I think oh. I, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I could be wrong. But I want to say that when I was looking up something else, not this today, uh, you know, gold, silver, like the like typical things, but I think copper is a big thing mm. in Utah, I want to say. Cool. Don't quote me on that. Um, the next one is the breakdown of the non-Mormon population. Mm. Like, what are other religions? So, Did Wikipedia help or no? A little bit. Um, mm. It was actually harder to find this than I thought. So, Mormon, this is from a couple different sources, I kind of collected it. Mormons account for 49% of the 1.1 million residents in Salt Lake County. Oh, that's interesting. Sorry, you may have to say that over, but because in the episode you asked, do you think there's more Mormons or non-Mormons? And I said non-Mormons, but it's right there at the cusp. It is. It is right at the cusp. Um, It's the lowest percentage of Mormons in Salt Lake County since the 1930s. Um, according to the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, that, and that's according to membership figures provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, that include active and non-active members. So statewide, Mormons account for nearly 62% of Utah's 3.1 million residents. Um, and that number is also down. So, so the Mormon population, I guess, is, is, is smaller than it has been ever before, basically. What? 62% say that one again? 62% are Mormon of the 3.1 million residents in all of Utah. Utah, not thank just you. Not, and then 49 point whatever 49. in Salt Lake City. Yeah. 49. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the, and, and um, an independent Mormon researcher, Matt Martinish, says that the number of people who are devoted Mormons is probably, probably even lower. He estimates about 40% of Mormons are active. Um, So if that was true, it would mean that only around 24% of Salt Lake County residents are active Mormons. So meaning like practicing, maybe people identify as Mormon, but aren't actually in fully like engaged in the church and doing Mormon things. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, the director of demographic research at the University of Utah said the pl- this place is just becoming much more diverse. It is not just the data set that is including it. There are many data sets showing that, you know, Mormons are becoming less of the population. They're becoming more people. So then the one other thing I found is that 75.4% of people in Salt Lake City are religious. 
Um, 0.7% are Baptist, 0.3% are Episcopalian, 9% are Catholic, 0.6% are Lutheran, 0.4% are Methodist, 0.8% are Pentecostal, 0.4% are Presbyterian, 61.1% are Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In all of Utah. No, this is just in Salt Lake City. This is a totally different website. Okay, so, got it. You okay. know, um, and this is actually not of the entire population. It's saying that seventy-five percent of the people in Salt Lake City of are the religious, religious people of religion, right? Got so it. these are the percentages of those religious people. Um, That's a big jump. Is nine percent of Catholic Catholic the next highest population of religious individuals? Yes. What so, about the Jews? 0.1% are Jewish. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 0.5% are of an Eastern faith. 0.5% are Islam. And 1.0% are of another Christian faith. So literally the lowest percentage in Salt Lake City are Jews. 0.1. 0.1. But now they really did clump up the Eastern religions. Yeah, it's a... Like Hindu, Buddhist. Right. Yeah. And then Islam is something? 0. 0.5. 0. 0.5. Yeah. Oh, wow. 0.5 Islam, 0. 0.5 of an Eastern faith. And then, you know, the rest of the breakdown is is very much, what, Christian, Baptist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Methodist, that's all Christian? Yeah. And yeah. and Catholic is 9% or something? Yeah. Oh, wow. Hmm. I didn't really realize there were that many different Christian, like, faiths yeah i'd be so interested to know the difference between like what's the difference like between protestant like is methodist presbyterian pentecostal lutheran episcopalian like i don't know what any of that means to be honest me neither that that'll be for another time a different lookup list yeah so this was this was an interesting one you said so i had mentioned in one of the like interesting beginning facts that um salt lake city is considered one of the number one places for LGBTQIA uh, communities. And you said, like, how is this determined? Is it by population? Is it by, like, support? And I don't have a totally specific answer to this, but um, I did find an article that I thought I would read a little bit from that was pretty interesting. It said, um, despite annual legislative skirmishes, entrenched LDS views and a state constitutional amendment against same-sex marriage and church-endorsed programs to change gay men into straight ones, despite all of that, Salt Lake City is still a great place to be gay. It's so great, in fact, that the nation's oldest continuing LGBT publication, The Advocate, ranked Salt Lake as number one in recent gayest cities in America. So I think that's what I had, that's the fact I had shared. Um, it beat out Seattle and San Francisco. But so, why? Okay, so the article acknowledges that few American cities can beat out established big city hotspots. This is a list where great where a great scene exists in less than expected locales. It's not specific. Like it's not scientific. So what you were asking is is it population? Is it support? Like what specifically this is makes more it more subjective of like it's a lesser yes. known place yes. that people would assume exactly. or would not assume is a big lgbtqia like hub right and yet it is right and so that's what this article was saying like it's not scientific there's no specific uh, facts or, or right. statistics supporting this um but this quote uh came from somebody i'm not sure in this hmm. article and it says while those unfamiliar with the beehive state which i did not look up but fine um, are likely to conjure images of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, far less oppressive than it used to be Salt Lake City, has earned its queer cred. There are more than half a dozen hotspots for men and women, including the eco-friendly nightclub Jam, though, mm. though the sustainable bamboo, bamboo flooring is perhaps less of a draw than the packed dance floor. The coffee garden is a gathering spot for those looking for a caffeine fix. The Sundance Film Festival brings LGBT film buffs to screenings downtown. And lesbian-owned Meditrina is a true wine bar that that you can absolutely get a drink that you enjoy in this town. Um, they also said that the community is nurtured and informed by the Utah Pride Center, a veritable hub of local LGBT life and sponsor of the city's annual Pride Festival, which is one of the summer's liveliest gatherings. So... All of that is to say that it sounds like 
No, there's no like specifics as to why the city was ranked um, by the advocate as being one of the number one places to be gay. It just sounds like there's a lot of establishments that are uh, gay owned. And it's just a super gay friendly state. There you it's, go. It's, it's city. 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 Okay, but it's interesting because you said Sundance and isn't that in Park City? I believe it is. So I, that, I guess that's what got me thinking state, but okay, city, uh, Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, also, you said something about beehive, beehive something. The beehive state. Yeah, and I obviously it's Utah. I just looked it up. I just wanted to confirm. Mm-hmm. That's what they call it. Uh, the state of the hive when Brigham Young. Yeah, I'm not going to read that. It's kind of boring. Um, so what? The beehive state has to do something with the, with Mormonism? Yeah. Um, the beehive became its emblem, symbolizing the kind of cooperative work that would be required to make the desert bloom. Wow. I like that. And mm-hmm. also... I hate beehives. Yeah. They're so gross. Also that you were talking about some gay bar or, or club with a, uh, it was like sustainable with yes. a bamboo floor. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So the next one on the list was more about, and this is interesting because again, I listened to the episode today and later on in the episode, we mentioned that, um, are Sher- we recording? Yes. Okay. That Sherry's, um, later on in the episode, we mentioned that Sherry's daughter, Heidi eventually grew up and married, the CEO of the Utah Jazz. Earlier on in the episode, when we actually recorded it, we talked about that. I cut it out. So when uh-huh. it comes up later in the episode, it's kind of like, it's like, well, how does Jenna know that? It's because we talked about it earlier and I cut uh-huh. it out. It just didn't work. Um, so we didn't really get into that. But so on your list was kind of like more about Heidi, Sherry's daughter's husband, Greg mm. Miller. Um, he resigned as CEO of the Utah Jazz in March 2015. Um, and it, it was a company that his dad started when he was 13 years old. He spent his entire adolescence and adult life working for the Utah Jazz. He took over as CEO um, in 2008, just months before his dad died in 2009. Um, and he left the company apparently in terrific shape. Uh, Forbes named Greg's mom, so Heidi's husband's Heidi's mother-in-law. Right. Um, The state's Utah's richest person with a net worth of $1.6 billion. When you, I mean, whoa, first of all, let me pause and say whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Um, You said his, because, yeah, I was wondering, like, how did he get involved with the Utah Jazz? What's his name? Greg Miller. His Greg Miller. His dad started. His dad start, and you said his dad started the company. So I was thinking his dad started the Utah Jazz? Um, like what's the company we're talking about? Well, the company is the Larry H. Miller Group. So before okay, the Utah and then Jazz. they acquired. Yes. Okay. So before the Utah Jazz, before apparently they owned TV stations in Utah, they owned advertising agencies, sports apparel stores, movie theaters, and restaurants. It, Larry H. Miller Group started out in the car business. Hmm. Um, apparently, Larry H. Miller, uh, Greg's dad, so Heidi's father-in-law, was a businessman. Um, he, yes, at a certain point owned the Utah Jazz. He also owned the Salt Lake Bees, a minor league, minor league baseball team. He owned more than 60 automotive dealerships throughout the Western United States and a variety of other ventures, including the Prestige Financial Services, uh, a restaurant and entertainment complex called Jordan Commons, Megaplex Theaters, Miller Motorsports Park, an advertising agency, an arena. Well, no wonder his you know, widow is the richest or was the richest Utah yeah, resident. Billion. Yeah. So when Greg, um, Heidi's husband, reti- resigned as CEO from the Utah Jazz in March 2015, he didn't know what to do with himself. So he apparently, I just thought this was interesting, he made his way to the North Pole, flying most of the way on a Russian cargo plane and covering the last 20 miles on a Russian military helicopter. Wow. Yeah. And apparently he stood on top of the world at the North Pole and completed a circle that began with a trip to the South Pole in 2014. So 2014, he started at the South Pole. 2015, he was at the North Pole. Wait, but I thought he didn't re- or leave the team or leave the business till 2015. He didn't, but he must have just taken a trip to the he South Pole. And he probably had some time on his hands because right. he was on his way out. Right. Um, and so after he did these trips, South Pole, North Pole, 
resigned as CEO. It's this article said after that he cleaned out his shed, did some traveling, whipped his cargo trailer into shape, fixed all the stuff that needed fixing around the house, organized his office and did some more traveling. And that brought him to ask his wife, what do you want to do tomorrow on like a random day, you know, in this article and and Heidi and Heidi said, "Uh, I don't know about you, but I have a life. So I have things to do. And at that point, Greg realized I wasn't going to be very good at doing nothing. So he was like, what do you do when you're 49 years old and no longer in charge of this company that your dad started when you were 13? And he wanted to, he somehow came to that he wanted to, he was like, I'll get back in the car business. That's how this company started. He wanted to buy a car dealership. But because the Larry H. Miller Group owned car dealerships throughout a lot of states, it was very limiting to where he could buy a car dealership, I guess, to not be in direct competition. Um, and apparently he was allowed to buy one in California. California was free game. So he ended up buying Bob Baker Toyota in Lemon Grove, which is a suburb of San Diego mm. and started running that. And that's about as deep as what I What kind of cars did they sell? It wasn't Toyotas. Just, oh, you did say, oh, I love a Toyota. Oh, yeah, you do. Okay. That's also <laughs> very interesting. Did him and Heidi have children? Yes, I believe it. Okay, so that makes okay. Well, that makes sense that when he's all, "What do you want to do tomorrow?" She's all, "I've got things on the calendar." Right. Yeah. Also, that's a real sign of good for him, but wealth of like, I'm gonna take even before I resign, I'm gonna go to the South Pole, meander up to the South and North Pole, and then ask myself, "What the heck should I do tomorrow?" Yep. I, I bet there's a lot more to that entire story but I felt like that was an appropriate amount of depth to go into it what about those triscuits oh my god Jenna made Mm. a snack because I said I really wanted something salty before we started this so she took triscuits Mm. and put a slice of cheddar like sharp cheddar shreddy cheddar shreddy cheddar cheese on the triscuit and then took a green olive cut it in half and put both little halves on each triscuit and baked it till the cheese melted and I like all of those things, so I had no doubt I was going to like this. But, whoa, it's so flavorful. Like the sharp cheddar with the salty I can't believe you've olive. never done that. Maybe I just assume that's like what everyone does. No. With trisc- you know, Triscuits on the side say like, maybe they don't say the, or show that picture in particular, but they'll show like sometimes with like cheese and an apple slice, which I don't like. Ugh. But, yeah, I assume like... I've done that since college. I mean, I've had Triscuits with cheese. I just don't think I've ever melted them with green olives. And I love green olives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredibly f- flavorful. I recommend it to anyone listening. Try it. And it's also inexpensive. Yeah, really good. All right. So High West Distillery, which was the um, kind of ski-in place that, that I mentioned, Um you just had like more on this, like most popular beer liquor here. So I, it was founded in 2006 by David Perkins and his wife. David was a former biochemist and he was inspired to open his own distillery after seeing the parallels between fermentation and distilling process and his own work in biochemistry. So they re, his family relocated to Park City where they began distilling in 2007 and then opened up this this place in Salt Lake City, I guess. What's it called again? High West Distillery. Okay, now what's a distillery? It's not a brewery, so it's not just talking about beer. No, They're distilling whis- spirits. It's whiskey. Ah, whiskey. Yeah, whiskey. So um, it was a small operation in, in downtown Park City. It's grown to be an internationally recognized award-winning brand of whiskey, apparently. High um, West. Yeah. At its simplest, it was a tent with a plank slapped across the top of two whiskey barrels, but it soon became the social epicenter of each new town that it went to. Now it's located at the bottom of Park City's resort, Park City Resort's Quitten Time Ski Run and next to the town lift. High West Saloon is the world's first and only ski-in gastro distillery. You can find it at 703 Park Avenue in Old Town Park City, just one block off historic Main Street. So I guess that's not exactly in Salt Lake City. It's in Park City, but close. I wonder how, how far Park and <clears throat> Salt Lake are from one another. I do not know. I'm but, trying to look up this the, I'm trying to look up this High West distillery. Mm-hmm. And I understand why they do this. And also, it's kind of annoying. I'm like put fumbling with my birthday. Yeah, yep, I know. Um, but that's where I got this information from that website. When I first typed in High West, it shows where they serve it here in Tucson. So at like Union and 
Oh, really? Yeah, Union cool. Brother John's, which is not my favorite place. Huh. Um, sorry, Brother John's. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, perfect lead-in to 3.2% beer. What you had written down, does it actually mean alcohol content as we discussed, or what does it mean? So 3.2% beer is a type of beer with 3.2% alcohol by weight. So AWB, which is what you see on all the alcohol bottles. AWB? ABV? Alcohol by what? What is it? Yeah, it should be ABW. Alcohol by weight. Oh, I thought ABV by volume, but anyways... I think that's probably true as well. Um, it's supposedly a low alcohol content type of beer. In a few states, 3.2 beer is the only type of alcoholic beverage that can be sold in grocery stores and supermarkets. In these states, other types of liquor, such as wine or beer, that have higher alcohol content are prohibited from being sold in these public establishments like grocery stores or supermarkets and must be sold at like specific liquor stores. Hmm. It's it's kind of a apparently a relic 3.2 beer is a relic of dry states. It's like as high as they can go before right. they hit that limit. Right. So in most other states that did not continue with the alcohol ban and were therefore known as wet states, 3.2 beer was not really a thing because the alcohol laws in these states allowed grocery stores, drug stores, whatever, to sell alcoholic drinks, which is so interesting. Cause like Arizona. Right. So, I mean, the, another question on here that we'll get to uh, – I guess maybe we could do next is is the is what is Georgia because so it was really interesting me being so I turned 21 here in Arizona it was the first time I could drink and and all that I knew was like you go to the Circle K and buy vodka or whiskey yeah. or any like you could literally get any alcohol at a gas station at a supermarket mm-hmm. anywhere all the alcohols were sold at all the stores that sold alcohol. All alcohol everywhere. Yeah. And then when I moved to Georgia in, I don't know, 2009 maybe or something, 2010, it was like at the grocery store, you could only get beer and wine. And you could, you had to get hard alcohol at a specific liquor store. And you could only buy alcohol, period, from the grocery store, from the beer, from the liquor store, from anything. When I first moved there, you couldn't buy it at all on Sunday. Nothing. You couldn't mm. buy alcohol on Sunday at all. And then it was what after? And then it noon? changed to be um, yes, you had to buy it after twelve p.m. on Sundays. So I I was looking up like what are what is the laws in Georgia? So it's one of so Georgia is one of several states that allows individual counties to create their own rules and regulations. So during COVID the state government made some statewide changes to alcohol policies to help restaurants stay afloat. In May of 2021, they passed a bill that would permanently allow restaurants to sell to-go cocktails. It was meant to help businesses recover from, you know, the pandemic. So that was probably never allowed before, no matter what day of the week. Never. Okay. So in, in May of 2021, restaurants were permitted to sell a maximum of two alcoholic beverages per entree in sealed containers, and customers were supposed to place these drinks in the glove box or trunk of their car while in transport. How do you put a drink in the glove box, first of all? Yeah, that um, is interesting because I know even here in Tucson where it's never been a, a dry state or any sort of dry thing, or at least since I've been here. It, yeah, a lot of the bars and bar restaurants were doing to-go drinks. Mm-hmm. But also, it's illegal in Arizona, I believe, to have an open container. So how can they tell if you stick a big drink in a styrofoam thing with a lid? It's considered, yeah. Seems problematic. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, it seems like a great idea, but also problematic in if you got <clears throat> excuse me pulled over well what's interesting is so georgia obviously so i did find this individual counties are allowed to set the days and time frames for alcohol sales but they may not permit sales before 8 a.m or after 11 45 p.m from monday through saturday and that's in pretty much all of georgia you can't buy liquor or beer or wine after 11 45 p.m no can you at a bar though at a bar, you can. Not but at not a, at a grocery or liquor store. Right. Correct. Yeah. Or before 8 a.m. So much stricter laws than here in Arizona. Because I, 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 I remember living in Flagstaff and like walking to the Circle K behind my apartment. And like, this sounds terrible. But like, you know, on like a Saturday where we were drinking all night, getting like liquor at like 4 a.m. or something from the Circle K. Well, yeah. If something's open here, I believe. You can get liquor. Well, There's yes, no I time know. constraints. If it's open and it sells liquor beer or wine you can buy it right and so it was much more stringent laws there in terms of that 
But what's interesting to me is that I lived in um, in Alpharetta and, and Roswell and, and it had an open container law. So in Alpharetta, like this little suburban, it was, I don't know, 30 minutes north of Atlanta that I lived in, like real family oriented town, cute little downtown. But first of all, me and my friend Laura would like, make a cocktail at my house, put it in a red cup and walk downtown to go to dinner. And you, you it was like Vegas. You could walk on the street allowed. with an open yeah. container, and walk around with alcohol. No problem. Anywhere in this little town. But yet I can't buy alcohol at 1150 PM. Yeah. Well, and also not on Sundays or until noon until noon on Sundays. I remember, most places. Yeah. I feel like I was having some drinks with dad when we were visiting you in Alpharetta and we were over a weekend. So I think, on Saturday, I said, well, let's just buy this additional yep. thing of vodka so we don't have to come back and also like check our time, right? Yep. Something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's strange laws. So like, is that going to stop? What, I guess I want to know more and this like, is why? going on, but I want to know, is that preventing people who want to drink that are problematic drinkers from drinking? No. No. Prohibition didn't even do that. So, Well, I mean, like, if you're a problematic drinker and you live in Georgia and you know... And you're going to buy 500 of right. whatever when... Buy 10 it, bottles of vodka. Yeah, what's the purpose? Yeah, uh, exactly. I think, actually, well, now that I think about it, um, uh, I don't know if this is right, but, like, isn't Georgia or Atlanta or that area... And the Atlanta and the suburbs on the Bible Belt is that yeah. what it's called? The Bible Belt. Yeah. Maybe it's something to do with religious kind of. Um, that could be. Somethings. That's true. Yeah. I have no idea. Well, see, this is why we shouldn't do a lookup list because then it turns into it another lookup list. I know, but on every lookup list, we've said things and then we've been like put it on lookup list number two. We've never done lookup list number two. I know. One day we, w I mean, yeah. should I write down, look up? I no, don't think no, we no. need to get that deep yet. I don't either. I don't think anybody is that interested except for us probably. Mm -hmm. So one day maybe we'll go back through the episodes. You know what would be fun is to like go back through the episodes and have on and do like one major like episode one through 10 look up list, look up list yeah. and have like a guest or two, like somebody who actually listens to the show, like some of the listeners who've written in and say they really like the show, have them come on and like talk about these just kind of random topics because anyone could talk about or this stuff. Or put in their own things they want to look up because my yeah. brain goes to one place, but my brain's not everyone's totally. brain. Totally. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. If anyone is actually listening to these and thinks like, ooh, I'd like to jump in and share my opinion on these random topics. Keep a Let running lookup list. Yeah, let us know. Keep a lookup list. Let us know. And maybe one day we could do like a, you know, over Zoom, do a kind of listener lookup list. Mm -hmm. That'd be fun. Lookup list squared. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Um, all right, I skipped through a few here. So let's see. We had the Ochre mountains um you had just written down ochre mountains which are uh is i think i maybe wanted to know if that's how you pronounce them or maybe that's that other thing that that listener wrote in. i think it is that yeah oh, my god i'm so glad you reminded me of that oh. i didn't write that down oh i think yeah. we should honor that person for taking the time we absolutely should and we're gonna do it right now because i don't want to forget so we'll go back to the ochre mountains so on our um our link tree, which is the the kind of website link on our Instagram and Twitter and everywhere, um, we have two links on there. One is a lookup list request. So if there's something that you are listening to in an episode and you're like, mm, no, they fucked this up, they got this wrong, or I want to know more about this or anything like that, you can go to the link in our Instagram bio and click it and fill out this little like Google form telling us what you want to hear more about or what we got wrong. Um, there's also a form for um, for crimes or murders that you know about that you would like to hear about. And mm -hmm. we, we would love suggestions. Somebody left one on a TikTok that, that I wanted to do but couldn't find enough information on. Um, so anyways, we got our first response to the corrections slash lookup list request form on Google. And unfortunately, it doesn't say a name with it. So I can't give the person credit because it, it doesn't say who this is from. However, they'll know who they are if they listen. Sure. That's true. Um, 
so the question on this little form says, what detail or information was incorrect and or should be fact-checked further? Whoa, I don't know why my voice, <laughs> my voice just did that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so this lovely person wrote back, the pronunciation of the Vidoc Society, it's V-Doc. V-Doc. Yeah. Um, and so we talked about this in that when Sherry's family was kind of like, frustrated with where the the investigation was going nowhere and they called upon the Larry H. Miller group so Heidi's husband's father's kind of business to to try and fund some deeper investigation into this and so they're like the independent kind of investigator helpers right so this lovely listener wrote in and said the pronunciation of the I said Vidoc society and she said it's Vidoc and it's named after Eugene Francois Vidoc, a 19th century French detective. <laughs> That's Jenna's dog, Pilot, who has just discovered his bone and his toy. And he's very excited. So if you hear some squeaking or bone I dropping. I let him back outside. Oh, no, no. This no. could get annoying, trust me. That's okay. People understand. I mean, if people don't understand, like. They're not our people. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, dogs are are disruptive and, and frustrating sometimes. I was going to say unpredictable. Oh. <laughs> but yes, disruptive and frustrating. <laughs> and animals enrich our lives. That's what that's, Michael says a lot. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Disruptive and frustrating, but worth it. Like they Just make like anything, their, yes, right? They a relationship, a child. I don't know that, but like exactly. a, you know, a plant. Exactly. Yes. Pilot, we don't think that you're frustrating. Yeah. He's very cute. Okay. Eugene Francois Vidoc, a 19th century French detective and first private detective who used psychology to help solve cold cases. So the Vidoc Society was started specifically as an outside source for cold cases. And they meet once a month. People from all sorts of criminal justice agencies and expertises. I don't know if that's the way you say it, but come together to hear detectives present their cold cases. It's pretty interesting, and there's a book about them. I think it's called The V-Doc Society. I only know this from Wikipedia, and one of my college professors was a member of the V-Doc Society, so I know about it. Not really anything that needs to be fixed, just a tidbit I thought you might find interesting. That's what this person wrote to us. I love a tidbit. Yeah, I thought it was really, really nice. Like, the, the fact that they took the time to... That's okay. We already said the pilot might yeah. have some bones. I wonder where her... Well, I was going to say, I wonder where she went to, or they went to college, but mm-hmm. I guess it's not necessarily Utah. Mm, I don't know. No, I think, I think, because I think she said it's from all over. How do you know it's a she? Or he or them. I don't know. Right. You're right. You're right. No, no. I'm just, I wasn't like being politically, see, now I'm going to try to be unpolitically <laughs> correct. Yeah, let's really offend I'm all, some people I just, here. I was wondering, because I at first said she as well, and then I thought, oh, I don't know who they are mm, but maybe because i'm a she i just yeah i think so she. yeah um well this person who so on these forms i you can either you can set a setting that says like you must give your email address or your name and i turned that off because i don't want people to feel like they have to do that and maybe they want to stay anonymous so this person i can't see your name your email anything i don't know who you are but we really appreciate you responding and if you are listening to this thank you and let us know if if you want or are willing, let us know your name and where you went to school so that we can say thank you on the next lookup list. Yeah, and I guess that's a good um, thought or whatever thing to put out there for other people if they're going to give us feedback on things that might need to be tweaked, fixed, whatever mm-hmm. that tab is um, yeah, to corrections. write in. Corrections if you want us to know your name or give you a shout out just uh, include specifically that. just yeah. sign off with your name or right. whatever else you want us to include yeah yep 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 i mean not your social security number but right yeah don't leave that or I mean, do you could i yeah. wouldn't know what to do with it anyways quite honestly <laughs> um so before i switch i like quickly switch over to the the vdoc society because i didn't want to forget we were talking about the ochre mountains i believe that is how you say it Yes, it is. It's Ochre Mountains. It's a Ute Indian word meaning 
the shining mountains, possibly due in part to the range's appearance when struck by morning's first light. Hmm. When Mormon pioneers settled in Salt Lake Valley, the area west of the Jordan River was known as Western Jordan or Over Jordan. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But I... (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) I was really following. You were talking about the shining mountains, the morning sunrise... The the settlers of the L.D. Mormon Church or something, yeah. and then you said something about the Jordan Lake, Jordan River, River, and then you got Western lost. Jordan or over Jordan. But then I didn't I didn't put anything else except for that. Like I only copied that. Well, part. you can just cut that from yeah. Jordan on. Yeah. Um, in the in the winter months, the Ochre Mountains become home to a small population of bald eagles, which can often be found in the cliffs on the west side of the range down to the reservoir near the town of Stockton. Bald eagles are, I believe they're still, or are they still, I guess I should say, are they still on the, yeah, endangered list? I believe so. I believe so. And these Oakher Mountains are also well known for um, mule, deer, elk, black bears, and mountain lions. Now, black bears. Let's talk about that because I need reminding. Black bears versus brown bears. Yep. Tell me okay. what you do because I know. Okay. Well, let's first start off with which is more dangerous? Brown. Okay. I was going to guess, but I, that is what I was going to guess. Okay. What do you do well, if you come upon a black bear? And they're bear? two very different things. Very different. One. Wait. You, let's okay. clarify. Brown bear includes a brown bear. And a grizzly. There you go. And okay. So that's the more dangerous, dangerous pile of bears Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the black bear still dangerous yes one i think don't say yes or no or anything one you get big and make loud noise and stomp around and one you lay down and pretend to die right which is which i imagine the more dangerous you lay down and pretend to die correct grizzly slash brown correct and the black you don't run don't run but you get Big. big without and this is but this is where it's confusing you get big without being too intimidating. So you want to scare them off. You want to seem confident, loud, move your arms around a lot. Like you're capable. Like you're capable. But, but you're you, not trying to attack not, them. There you go. That's it. And Same with mountain lions. Is this something where you're not supposed to make eye contact or is that something else I've heard? I don't think that that's, I think that that's actually not a thing. I think that that's something that people say. And I don't think that that like, people are like, don't make eye contact with horses. Like don't look oh. them direct. You know, don't, I don't I think, think that's it's more about your thing. energy with horses. It's it a hundred percent. And is. don't come up behind them. Right. Yes. Yeah. Don't walk directly behind their butts because yeah. they can kick you. Yeah. Um, but I think with most animals, it's your energy. This is a, not a scientific evaluation of this, but like, if a bear is going to attack you, looking it in the eye is probably not going to make or break your situation. Maybe rolling down in the fetal position or making yourself big and scaring it off, that might. Could do. And also may not. And also may not. But I don't think like if you like glimpse in its eye, I don't think it's like, ooh, you're dead. I'm all closing my eyes. <laughs> I put my mask over my eyes. I don't think that's going to do Bear spray it. is surprisingly effective, but not for the reason that I thought but I've heard a whole lot of things on this recently, but now I can't remember. Bear pepper spray. I used to run with it in yeah. staff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, Which was super unnecessary, but I was very paranoid. Apparently it is, unless you're like a cool as a cucumber under fire, essentially under huge stress and you have a gun and you're a great shot. Apparently the bear spray very is effective. just as if not more effective. Yep. Also, now I can think you're going to have to cut this, but I think of Cocaine Bear. I want to watch that preview again. Somebody said that. Versus the the creepy one you showed me. Those are two such different bear things. I have to cut that. Those are such good bear things. On our meeting the other day, um, Barney or Dana, I don't know, somebody said, we were talking, you know, on our Monday meetings, everybody talks about like, what'd you watch over the weekend? What are you looking forward to watching? You know, and. Uh, several people said like I watched the preview for Cocaine Bear can't wait to see it yeah. and I was like me too oh my gosh <laughs> I hope they said that weeks ago because we've been watching that preview yeah now what's that backcountry is it out the movie's out oh out for years have you and seen the whole movie I have and so I was going to actually say that because so that bear in that movie is a black bear and anybody who's listening who hasn't seen the movie backcountry wait I, but black bears that's the lesser of the evils. Usually. 
I sure. think it's, sure. you know, usually. Maybe there was cubs around. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe yeah. they hadn't eaten in a while. You know, I mean, yeah. there's so many factors. But I want to say Backcountry, I watched it thinking, not going to be a great movie. However, the, the main woman in it, she's from FBI, which I love. So really like her. Don't know the guy. It's not a great movie. It's a fine movie. It's meh. But that bear scene is to me, like it's an epic outside of like the Revenant bear scene. It's so graphic. And I don't generally like graphic violence or like gore, but bears fast. Says the girl hosting the. <laughs> also, it's fair, totally fair different. Point, I, I love Leo. I like the Revenant. I think it's a beautiful movie. I agree. Michael fell asleep. I did too. During that part. So. Oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. It's a cool scene, but it's totally... The Completely different. Revenant's a cool bear scene. This one's totally different. It's like... Oh, it's... Like, I'm not Leo. I can't see myself as Leo in that scene. I could see myself camping in a little shitty tent. Right, because it's a very... It's like a relatable movie. It's kind of a... I, I, I don't want to say this because I'm not sure if it's true, but it feels like a, like a low-budget kind of eh, movie. And also a really interesting gory horrifyingly well done um bear attack scene Watch because it. i would imagine it's hard to make those bears i've seen a lot of shark movies i haven't seen a lot of bear attack movies i'd imagine it's hard to make those feel realistic and this one feels like when she's running away slight spoiler alert here but when she's running away and the bear is over her boyfriend and his mm. body is kind of like hollowed out. Ugh. And that's a real bear, I believe, in that scene. Which makes me feel bad for the bear and also... I know. But like really, I mean, just you can picture yourself because I've been in woods that look like that. I've been hiking or camping in places that look like that where I'm like, oh my God, is there a bear? And there's never a bear, but there could be. Till there is. Exactly. Exactly. That was a lot on bears. It was a good offshoot, though. I like that conversation. Yeah, just also, I mean, people, I've never seen the whole movie of, what's it called? Backcountry? Backcountry. But even if you just look up YouTube, the preview for Backcountry, right? Or yeah. the bear scene. Bear back, scene. Bear back, scene. Back. Back. Look up Backcountry bear <laughs> scene. It's like six minutes long. It's definitely on YouTube. And if you don't like blood or gore, which I generally don't, I would say avoid this scene. But it is, I've never been attacked by a bear, but it's, <laughs> I imagine this is what it would be like. It feels realistic to me. Yeah. Oh, God, I Doesn't have to it? find what I heard. I think it was a different kind of, not true crime, but a scary podcast I listened to one night where, yeah, something where someone with a bear was drug out of a tent by a, by bear. a bear. A true, it was like a true thing. Oh, drug you out told of a me tent by a bear and drug, you know, tussled around for a minute or and two, then but then, no, no, the bear. Ate them? This person, I can't remember, male, female, whoever, could not get themselves, the sleeping bag zipper stuck. And the bear, they were in a tent, this person, and maybe with someone else, the other person unzipped, got out, because the bear started tapping or scratching on the tent. (gasps) And this person, and it was one of those like probably mummy bags where you're like all the way up. Couldn't unzip it. And the bear got into the tent. Yeah, with its little big nails, got onto the thing on the bag, into the person, and they were screaming, yelling, from what I can remember, and then not long, two minutes, um, probably 20 seconds, drug them into the forest, never to be seen again. (gasps) Yeah. Whoa. Oh, I would like I would like to know what that is. You should find that. Maybe we should do these kind of podcasts. This is very interesting. I know. I find this interesting, (laughs) too. Yeah. Whoa. I have a very, I think that most people have a fear of bears, but I have like a recurring bear nightmare. So um, since I was little, a recurring bear nightmare. I haven't had it in a while actually, but always the same one. And for years and years and years. Do you die? Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't know. I assume. I, I, I wake up after like the bear has drugged me off. Drugged you. Drug, drugging me. <laughs> Drugs and drags. Drug dragged me into he, the, yeah. yeah. I don't know the pronunciation, but. Yeah. And. Oh, so kind of like what I just told you. Yeah. I'm not in a tent. but You're not I come in a sleeping upon, bag? No, I'm not in a sleeping bag. I'm hiking and I come upon bears, oh. two bears. And it's it's like a very like 
so realistic. Like I can like see their nails and like, like in the dream, like feel the like bare breath on my face. Like it's so intense. I've had it, I mean, maybe since I was like 12 years old, I remember having this dream. And it's always the same bears, brown bears in the woods. I don't know what woods. I don't know why it happens, but I've had the dream forever and ever. So when I lived in Flagstaff alone and would take a pone running in the woods, that's why I carried bear spray. There's really not that many bears in the Coconino forest of But also, Flagstaff. is it that much of a stretch to go purchase bear spray and take it? Well, that's why, why not? I t- right, yeah. because I was like, there's a reason I'm having this dream. Maybe this is what's going to happen. Never well, did. Well, also, goodness. that's what I was going to ask. Have you ever looked up the interpretation of that, of bears in your dream? I have not, actually. Oh. I'm going to now, though. I have a dream book we can look at after this. Yeah, Not that I have the not. dream book is... You know. And I don't know exactly what you do. I mean, I know you make yourself big, make yourself small, depending on the bear type, but I think you just hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, that's probably true. All right, let's maybe get back to the look of list. Guys, we're starting a new podcast called, called Bears. Bears by Southwest. <laughs> I would love to do that. Bears and sharks. Those would be the two things I like to talk about. Um, but we are going to get back into this episode six look up list. We really only have a few more things. Honestly, I, I'm going to say three more things that I like to talk about. One is a really quick one and I feel like it does need clarification. So bludgeoned, you wrote down bludgeoned. What does it mean? Um, hit by an object. Do you have hit by an object? Question mark. So as a verb, bludgeon means to beat or hit someone repeatedly with a heavy object. Yeah. Um, as a noun, which I didn't realize to bludgeon someone it is a short stick that usually has one thick or loaded end and is used as a weapon. Wait, a noun. but to bludgeon someone, wouldn't that be a, a verb? verb? So not to, yes. Oh, I said that a wrong. bludgeon. A bludgeon, yeah. Yep. Is a, a heavy yep. stick yep. thing. And then to bludgeon someone is to hit them with that Repeatedly. Heavy Repeatedly, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, I guess I thought that, but I just wanted to clarify. You had asked, does it mean only in the head? And it does oh. not. It means anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So when whoever says bludgeon to death or that was the cause of death, that was the cause of death was bludgeoning, bludgeoning. could be anywhere on the body. Beating them to death. Somewhere basically. on the body. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And so the the last, you had at, you had something on here about you wanted to see a picture of B&W Supply Billiards and Books, yeah. which I did find a few pictures. Um, I will show you when we're done and I will post them on the Instagram Cool. How about, I yeah. feel like, because there's no good way to really explain that on here. Uh, the last two things have to do with, well, I mean, there were a couple more things, but I'm going to kind of blow by them. You had it written down more on sushi being flown in. I could not find why Utah was known for good sushi or why it was flown in, but there is, I will say the one thing I found is that there is a great, one of the best, it's not one of the, the best sushi restaurants in Salt Lake City. It's continuously recognized as one of the best restaurants period in Salt Lake City. It's called Takashi. Oh. Um, and they fly their fish into the Salt Lake City airport daily. Hmm. And uh, from where? I know you probably don't I don't, know. I don't know. But it said that it's probably so popular that there's generally a line out the door and that it's totally worth it. Um, a couple of the rolls, and this is going to make me super hungry, but it said um, a TNT roll is a fried roll with yellowtail, albacore, salmon, green onion, and hotter than hell sauce. Yum. This does not sound appealing to me. The strawberry fields roll, it's escalar, which I don't know what that is, strawberry, spicy sauce, chili peppers, toasted almonds, and eel sauce, which I love eel sauce. And then the black magic woman roll, which love because I love that song. It's something called stable fish, roasted red bell pepper, lemon pesto, ponzu sauce, and sesame seeds, and the crunchy ebi roll, which is shrimp tempura, avocado, masago, eel sauce, and tempura crumbs. I mean, all that generally sounds good I love sushi. It's interesting that you said whatever black something is your favorite. Black magic woman. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know that song. Yeah. But you know what you said right before that is strawberry fields, which I almost said I freaking love oh. that song. Strawberry fields forever. Where? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so Look at what Takashi looks like. Cool. Yeah, it looks pretty nice. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be one of the absolute greatest restaurants in Salt Lake City. So shout out to Takashi. If we ever come to Salt Lake City, I hope we can eat there. Yum. It looks great. Yeah. So the last two things that I really want to talk about was um, you would ask more about phenotyping, DNA mm. phenotyping, which I'm I'm going to post as soon as we're done. I have the DNA phenotype that was done about 
Adam DeBurrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, they did one when he was like 18, 25, and 52 or whatever. So I'm going to post the one when he was 52. And it's it's pretty interesting. And so just briefly, I think we talked, I think we pretty well explained it on the episode, but just to kind of recap, DNA phenotyping is used to predict an organism's physical characteristics by using information collected from its genetic code. Um, the sequence of genomes in any person's DNA can indicate possible observable traits, hair color, eye color, face shape, skin color, sex, and more. Um, so the first time that it was used, I think from what I can find, was in 2017 when the killer of Kendra Alston and her three-year-old daughter was identified six years after the two had been found murdered in Columbia, South Carolina. I found something else that said that the the forensic DNA phenotyping began in 1999 in Europe um, with the brutal rape and murder of a 16-year-old in the Netherlands. They used this to help track that killer. I have a bunch of other examples. This is why we need a website because I don't want to just read through all of this stuff that I found. It don't I feel like it's a little a boring. Uh, we do, but I need to put like a blog on it where I can include some of this information for people who actually care to know more. <clears throat> what I thought was most interesting, rather than the examples of how it's been used, is the issues that people have with it. Mm. So even though DNA phenotyping has helped solve multiple mysteries and crimes, critics remain skeptical about this technology because creating an image from phenotyping, first of all, costs thousands of dollars, apparently, and the physical traits produced are nothing more than predictions that do not guarantee an individual's appearance. Mm. Many defining characteristics of someone's appearance, such as facial hair, dyed hair, scars, tattoos, weight, and height are not found in one's DNA. So it only kind of provides this like snapshot, which might be somewhat incorrect, which could, you know, it could, so what a lot of people feel like is it could lead to, first of all, incorrect identification of people and then also racial profiling. If the phenotype was produced, I'm not sure if that's how I talk about it, but yeah. Sure. And then if you see this person who you think is guilty and then the phenotype here Right. And then your brain, yeah, makes associations that maybe right. aren't actually there because sometimes right. people just have similar attributes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the New York Times published a report interviewing DNA experts about the technology and many raised concerns about its selective application. One person said, this leads to a technology that is better able to make faces that are African-American. Others noted that Parabon, which, we, which is the the lab, Parabon Labs, did the phenotyping in the episode with Sherry, right. um, had not at the time published any research in peer-reviewed journals validating its method. DNA phenotyping is also not allowed in courts because the technology is still nascent, is the word, which I think means too, Unfound, um, too early, perhaps. It kind of reminds me, not the nascent word, but like how... Um, you're not supposed to call them lie uh, detectors. But. Nascent means just coming into existence. Oh, okay. It's er, it's too early. So that's the phenotyping. And this is the perfect blend, blend, the perfect lead into the last thing that I wanted to mention. This I found super fascinating. How can 20... 20- but none of the other things. <laughs> <laughs> Except that cocaine bear. <laughs> I love cocaine oh, bear. I can't wait to see it. Me too. Isn't it, um, oh, it's, the, it's what's her name? Rose Byrne from uh, Physical mm. and Neighbors. And Wait, stuff. is it? Or is it Kristen Wiig? Who is it? Rose Byrne, you're probably right. She's in that jumpsuit. I thought yeah. it was, oh, now I'm picturing all kinds of people, but I think you're actually very right with the first one. You know what I just typed into my phone? Cocaine Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Russell. That's, wow. Felicity. Yeah, that's weird, but Okay. Yes, and also, do you know who's in it? We like her. I think you like her. She's in your honor. Margot Martindale. Mm, she's great. She's also from uh, The Leftovers. Yep. Yeah, I like her a lot. Does she's she spell great. her name like you? No, no T. Mm. Okay, last one, last thing. How can tw- how, If you submit your DNA to 23andMe, how can they use your DNA? This is a big one for me. Neither me or Jenna have done this. I've thought about doing it. So according to the 23andMe website, they say, we will never share your genetic or self-reported data with employers, insurance companies, public databases, or third-party marketers without your explicit consent. Okay, great. They also say, we will not release any individual level personal information to law enforcement 
unless subpoenaed. We are required to do so by court order, subpoena, search warrant, or other requests that we determine as legally valid. That's the, before you ever got to the legal part, I thought, great. First of all, sorry, but going to 23andMe, yes, I know they have to put like the real data, the real stuff out there. And also, they're going to word it in a very lovely way, the best way. So get off the 23andMe site, but also, yes, subpoena. Which is so easy to get. Or a warrant. So, okay, there are a few other things. So the issues with it is what I wanted to get into, but mm-hmm. but I don't. But I want to go right off of what you just said, mm. which is one of the major issues with it is the company's situation or privacy statement can change. Mm-hmm. Companies change. They are bought, sold, and go out of business. And what happens to your data then? There are no limits on what these companies can do. They just have to state it in their privacy policy, which they can change at any time. Right. Maybe there's an expiry date of one year or one month or 10 years. Exactly. So, and then another one is laws governing genetic privacy are not broad enough, according to experts. Many privacy experts are concerned that the only law covering genetic privacy is the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, also known as GINA. And it's too narrow in its focus on banning employers or insurance companies from accessing this information. Other than Gina, there's nothing that basically protects your information. Also, another issue is that law enforcement knows that these companies have your DNA and they want it and they're asking for it already. And they can subpoena them. Right. Requests from law enforcement and courts for your data are already happening and can be done under subpoena or search warrants. I found this in an article. It says, remember the Golden State Killer case that was recently cracked after decades? It was cracked with the help of DNA from a genealogy company. Catching a murderer is a good thing, but the ability of law enforcement to target your DNA through these testing companies is a big issue. A quote says, oh God, You're going to love this. This I thought was great. Or hate it. You hate it and love it, yes. When you provide your genetic information to a DNA testing company, you are also providing information about those related to you, including distant cousins. When your relatives, including distant ones that you may not even know, provide their DNA, they're also providing genetic information about you. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's not 100% your genetic, but yeah, that's why... <clears throat> that's why people who are adopted can find it doesn't even have to be their biological sibling it can be their second cousin that did 23 and me well right think about it you which is lovely in some ways and also there we only know we know the pros and cons what you shared as they are today right but think about it you and me have both decided to not submit our DNA to Ancestry well, 23 For whatever. now, I'm worried now for you, for me. Oh, I'm not going to, absolutely not. However, if you think about this, we have lots of relatives on dad's side of the family that we don't know, that we've never met, that sure. we're not in touch with. Any number of them could have submitted DNA and I'm sure they have. to one of these websites, which means that potentially our DNA is somehow linked in there because they say distant cousins. A portion of our DNA, yes. Yes, yes it is. is. Which is, I believe, and again, I would have loved to cover this in this lookup list, but that is kind of how Adam DeBurrow, Sherry's killer, was found because somebody in his family put DNA in one of these genealogy websites and then the police obtained his DNA again still questionable whether it was like when he was in the in the interrogation room or whether they did it from a cup he threw away in public that's I still cannot find any hard evidence stating Let's just one say or the it other. was on his coffee cup in the investigation room. Yeah, fine. Or, Either way, yeah, it, doesn't it doesn't matter. matter. They obtained his DNA and someone in his distant family had put DNA in one of these websites and that plus the composite from the phenotyping allowed them to capture him, which, wonderful. In this case, excellent. I get that. That's what I was going to say. It is wonderful. And also... Scary. It's just weird. And and also, where is, you know, technology... You know, science and technology is constantly evolving, obviously. And... uh, Yeah, it's a little bit frightening. Let's not get into AI. Oh, gosh. We already went on a bear tangent. We'll keep the AI... AI, <laughs> the AI tangent for another day. I'm looking out the window right now in your back. We're at Jenna's house today. I'm looking out your back window at these. What are those? Mooring doves? 
Yeah, I think they're just pigeon doves. Doves, not pigeons. Doves. They're so cute. I just like to call them morning doves. They're so cute. Yeah, they're kissing. So adorable. They're like cleaning themselves and kissing at the same time. Um. Anyways, that's 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 the lookup list for today. I kind of enjoyed this one because well, they're sitting on top of each other right now. Maybe they're not sitting. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, with that, we're going <laughs> to sign off. And watch the, the preview for, for Cocaine Bear. For Cocaine Bear, that's right. I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening. And I enjoyed this one a lot because we kind of did keep it a little bit looser and go on our bear tangent. Yeah, thank you. Happy, I guess by the time this comes out, it'll probably be Sunday, but happy weekend. And thank you for listening. We have a exciting episode for you on monday that takes place right here in tucson so be sure to tune into that one and have a wonderful and safe weekend and send us your questions your thoughts your comments and we appreciate all of you and go out there and buy some bear spray (laughs) good night guys